Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am a sucker for a good story, whether it's a movie or a book. Um, I love history, not so much the dates and all that kind of stuff, but like, tell me the tales of these people in history. And I, I think I've got some family members that are some pretty incredible storytellers. My, my dad's mom, my grandma, her name's Naomi, she's a phenomenal storyteller. And she will have our entire family just in tears because we're laughing so hard at these stories that she tells us. And, and my dad's always been a really great storyteller, too. And shout out to my dad and thank you for his service. It's Veterans Day. Uh, my dad served 21 years in the Navy. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so thankful for my dad and for the other, other service members that we had. Um, had the privilege of, of living um, the transient military life and seeing the sacrifice that they made. Um, but my dad was a sailor, and true to the stereotype of sailors loving stories, um, I swear my dad would have been a great salty sea dog of days long ago because he would tell and make up all of these crazy stories, and some of them real, some of them I had no idea, and then some of them totally made up. Um, and so I've always appreciated a good story, and then I've also, I think, because of my dad with the Navy and kind of hoping that maybe I've got a pirate somewhere in my family history somewhere. Um, I, I joke with my kids, most of my piercings are on my right side, so it's my pirate side and my conservative side. So I hope that there's like legit a pirate somewhere in my history, right? So I love hearing the stories of like the golden era of pirates or of Vikings and their exploring and things and these crazy sea battles that they would have and the antics and the tactics they would pull and the ways that they navigated with these really rudimentary things. Um, but one of the things that's really important, whether it's modern day or um, long, long ago seafarers, is that they had to have some sort of way to navigate because otherwise they would be lost <laughs> at sea. Lost at sea. Thank you. Thank you. I love a good pun, even if it's a bad pun. Um, but, I mean, they had to know where they were headed, right? Because, like, the, the battle could be crazy and cool, or um, the, the storm could be wicked and insane, and they're, like, not worried. They're not uh, um, sure if they're going to make it or not. Um, but they had to know where they were headed, or all was lost. Um, they would never find the treasure they were, af were after. They would never find the land that they were adventuring for. Um, and so they had to know where they were headed. They needed this constant. I think about the North Star, right? Um, this place that they were headed that wasn't going to change, that they could continue to head that way to follow um, and to measure where they were to know where they were headed. Um, they could not risk losing sight of this navigational anchor. Now, also, if you guys have um, talked to me for a few minutes, you know I really enjoy the Christian author Bob Goff. He's got two wonderful books, um, Love Does and Everybody Always, that's just really challenging us to love people and quit making excuses, and also to love everybody, even the hard people, and to quit making excuses. And he, he tells us these principles through these crazy stories, and one of the stories that he tells is about him and some friends, they were going to take um, a boat, a sailboat, and race from California to Hawaii. And they had this guy who was really good at navigation that was going to go with them, but he was in the military and found out just before the race that he wasn't going to be able to go. And so Bob drew the short straw, and he had to learn how to navigate really quickly. And it's a good thing that he did because he did not realize there was a difference between true north and magnetic north. And if he hadn't understood that distinction, then they would have completely overshot Hawaii and probably not made land until they hit Japan. 
Um, so it was really important that he, he learned how to navigate correctly because his bearings would have been all wrong. And then they would have completely missed their destination. They would have completely missed where they were headed. And it's interesting because as I think about that story and as I think about Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica and I, I think about who Paul is because that's important, right? We need to think about who the author is and what his history is and where he came from. See, Paul was a Pharisee back when he was Saul, and he hated Jesus. He thought he was a heretic. He hated believers or Christians or Jesus followers and was killing them, and he thought he was doing the right thing. In fact, I would say that he and the Pharisees think that they're following God well. I don't think most of them are like, I'm intentionally going to misunderstand some of the things God's saying. No, like, they think they're wholeheartedly following God well, but they're headed towards true north, not magnetic north, and they're going to completely miss Hawaii. And I think that's one of the things that Paul's telling this church in Thessalonica here is, we've talked about some really big things, some really cool things, but I don't want you to miss the most important thing. At this point in 2 Thessalonians, Paul moves from prophecy to practical. He says, what we've talked about is really important. What we've talked about is really good. And it's fun to sit and talk about these things. But, in fact, he starts out in verse 13, and he says, but. He talked about things he needed to address, but. He talked about these things that are good to talk about, but let's talk about what's essential. And that's what we're going to look at in our text tonight. See, he wanted them to focus on the source of hope, this beacon of stability, the thing that they must not lose sight of so they didn't completely miss it. So read with me 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you've got the YouVersion app, it should be in the events. There's a tab for you to follow along there um, or your brick-and-mortar Bibles as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And before we go here, I would say, too, we've, we've talked about some pretty crazy stuff, right? Like, there's been some really exciting things that have happened in this passage, and it's talking about the man of lawlessness. And then we land in these verses, too. They're, like, really positive and encouraging and not nearly as theologically exciting to chew on, right? And so it's kind of tempting to go, okay, Paul, like, let's get on to the good stuff. But I would remind you that just like talking about the pirates of, of long ago, and they have this crazy battle. As much as that's exciting, that's a moment, and that's not the big picture. That's not the point, right? They needed to know where they were headed, and Paul's saying, this is, that's cool, and that's exciting to talk about, but let's not lose sight of the big picture and the point. And we find that in verse 13. But we always ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. See, Paul's telling them there's a lot of things you could get distracted by and it may be fun to talk about, but I don't want you to miss the most important thing, and that is the truth. He wanted them to stand firm in the truth. This is the thing that it is essential for them to know. If they don't understand all of the details of the man of lawlessness, if they don't understand all of the details and the semantics of the day of the Lord, that's fine. 
It's going to flesh itself out whether you know all the details or not. But what you do need to know is the truth. And the truth doesn't change. So what is the truth? It's Jesus and it's the gospel. He says, stand firm in truth, secured and sanctified because of what God has done. And you will be comforted and established in work and in word. See, Paul begins with this thanksgiving for God's saving work in their lives, and he was celebrating their common salvation, talking about the fact that they were both in need of the grace of Christ. They were both in need of of standing firm in the truth. They were both in need of being secured and sanctified so they could be comforted and established. And he points to God's divine hand in their salvation and sanctification, putting the emphasis on God as the author and the perfecter of our faith. And says that you stand firm by clinging to this truth, that Jesus made reconciliation and hope possible. See, the truth is Jesus. He is that unchanging navigational beacon that we cannot lose sight of. No matter what other things may be around us, whether it's a wonderful day or a difficult one, whether we're becalmed or in this epic sea battle, we cannot lose sight of our navigational beacon that is Jesus. And I love in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and this is just before his arrest and his trial. This is when they're having the Passover meal together, and he is preparing them for hardship, much like Paul is also encouraging the believers in Thessalonica for hardship. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is telling them, don't don't be troubled. Just don't lose sight of me. And remember that I am the unchanging navigational beacon. Don't lose sight of me. I am the truth. I am the way. I am life, and I am the way to the Father. He's saying, stay Jesus-centered because he is the unchanging one. See, the truth is not what is temporary but what's eternal. And so often we get so distracted by what's temporary that we forget that that's not the ultimate truth. It's the eternal things, and Jesus is the eternal truth. So first, Paul's telling them the truth, it secures and it sanctifies. I am also reminded by another letter to another church that Paul writes to the Ephesians in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and he says, In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So again, this idea of being secure in relationship with God through Jesus Now, I want to talk about a tale of two students, and I don't mean this as a discredit to people's hard work, because I know sometimes it's just challenging. The life of a student trying to find a job, it's challenging. But think about which one you would prefer to be. See, the first student has uncertain grades. They're not sure if they're passing or not. Maybe they're just kind of like on the line. They're not really sure, because if they don't pass these classes, maybe they're not going to graduate, and they're going to have to retake some classes. And they don't really know what the job offers are going to look like. They haven't started rolling in. And so there's all this uncertainty of the future, all of this that's unknown. And then you have this other student. The grades are secure. They know they're passing their classes. They know that graduation is set and it's going to happen. And the job offer has been accepted and extended. Pardon me. <coughs> Which one would you prefer to be? 
Obviously, you want to be the one that's a little bit more secure and that knows what's going to happen. Because, see, they know what they've, they've done. They know where they're headed. They, they know how that is going to unpack itself, right? And Paul is reminding the believers here, like, you know who you are. You know what Jesus has done for you, and you know where you're headed. You don't have to be overwhelmed by uncertainty. I know all of these other things can be a little bit distracting, and it's fun to talk about, but don't lose sight of the truth. Stand firm in the truth. Be secured and sanctified in the truth. Because of the truth of Jesus, we are assured and transformed. See, these, are, these are, are two peas in a pod, secured and sanctified, assured and transformed, kind of the same things. But one must lead to the other. You, you, you can't be secured without being sanctified, right? If you truly have relationship with Christ, it is going to lead to transformation in your life. You are going to let the Holy Spirit work within you to make you more like Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Well, another letter that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it's basically the personality profile of Christ. And so if you are securing your salvation, then you need to be sanctified as well, where you are growing and cultivating these characteristics of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gratefulness, gentleness, self-control. Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat, guys. So not only are they secured and sanctified, but they're comforted and established. So why is this? Why are they comforted and established? The Holy Spirit gives them comfort, but the Holy Spirit also convicts. And again, it's these two things. He doesn't comfort for the sake of comfort, but he comforts so that they will do something with it. So when I established, I don't mean lethargic, but active in the things that the Spirit has done in their life. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." He says you're comforted so that you are established to do the things that he has called you to do. God does not comfort us for the sake of comfort. He comforts us so that the believer is motivated to action and work and in word. There's a quote that I loved um, by Spurgeon that I think really brings this point home. I know it's kind of lengthy. Hopefully it'll be up on the screen and you guys can follow along with me. But I think it really uh, communicates what Paul is saying in this passage. Spurgeon says, I answer first, the two things, comfort and constancy, are put together because comfort by itself is not enough. We do not desire first and above all things that Christian men should have comfort. It is a very great privilege to be comforted especially by the comforter, for such comfort is sound and safe and holy. But at the same time, they err who think that the first and chief reason for knowing God is that you may feel comforted and happy. I fear that there are many who are under that notion. They expect every sermon to comfort them. Otherwise, they think it is a wasted opportunity. Even when they are alone in prayer, their chief thought is that they want to be comforted by their own devotion. 
But sometimes rebuke is better than comfort, and spiritual quickening, and especially true sanctification, are more greatly to be valued than any measure of comfort whatsoever. If we were to confine ourselves to prayer for the Lord only to comfort his people, we should have a very imperfect form of intercession. No, it needs that we should not only be comforted by our religion, but that we should be led by it into holy activity, so as to abound in every good work, word and work and be established therein. So we are comforted so that we can be active. Thanks, Nathaniel. So I would ask you guys, does your faith truly reflect this? That you believe that you are secured and comforted so that you can be sanctified and established? See, it's easy to want the first half of both of those things that Paul is telling this church here to stand firm in the faith. We want to be secure. We want to know that there is not risk to us. And we want to know that we are comforted. We don't always want the difficulty that comes with being sanctified. Of, of letting God work in our life to make us look more like his son. We don't always want to be um, active in obedience, doing something with the comfort that he has given us. But that's what Paul is telling them here. Don't just take the security. Don't just take the comfort. But do something with it. Let the Holy Spirit make you more like himself and live out, as Paul says, in word and deed. Do we only want Jesus for the comfort and security his truth brings and not the transformation and obedience that he deserves. See, truth demands transformation. And Paul knew this firsthand. He's been a believer of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, for about 20 years now. And he knew what it was like before, and he knew what truth demanded in his life, and it demanded change. There's another quote by Warren Wiersbe. It says, It is good to be defenders of the faith, but we must not forget to be demonstrators of the faith. Paul tells the believers there to be secure and comforted in Christ, but let that motivate you to sanctification and action, and you do this by seeking the truth that is Jesus. One of the things that comes to mind as I was reading this passage, I was talking to some of the officers I meet with about this because I couldn't remember what movie it was from, so thanks for looking it up for me, guys. Um, but it's in The Patriot was specifically the one that I was thinking of, and it's a great movie, Mel Gibson. It's a similar scene also in Braveheart with Mel Gibson, so maybe there's a common theme there. Um, but the, the, the colonists are fighting against the English, right? And the battle isn't looking great. And people are starting to run away, and he says, hold, hold, and he's trying to encourage the colonists to continue to fight back. And so he runs, and he grabs the flag and waves it and inspires people to continue and to press on. And so as Paul writes here, and he's talked about some kind of confusing, kind of heavy stuff, I imagine him calling out to this church in Thessalonica saying, hold, hold, hold fast to faith. Stand firm in truth. Don't lose sight of what matters most in spite of the other things that are around us. And the challenge that I would give to you guys is not to make essential or critical or primary the things that Jesus didn't. Those may be really fun discussions and conversations and debates to have, things that, that are differences in the way that we live out our faith than some others, but I would really caution you guys not to make essential, critical, or primary the things that Jesus didn't. Yes, go back to his word. But understand there's some things like the man of lawlessness in the day of the Lord that we don't know exactly how that's going to flesh out. And so don't make essential, critical, or primary the things that Jesus didn't. 
And remember, as Paul says here, to have hope through grace. I want to end um, rereading this passage in 2 Thessalonians again. As, as I was reading over it again as we were getting started with Catalyst tonight, I was just reminded how thankful I am for this job. Guys, it is such a privilege to get to walk with you through life in whatever degree it is for the time that you're here. The, the fact that you guys are choosing to make a priority of Christian community while you're in college, uh, that whether it's just a quick hi and I don't know you super well or we've like cried wet spots into the carpet together, it is such a privilege and an honor to pursue Jesus with you guys. And one of the things that I love the most about this job is that you don't stay here, but that you guys launch out into the world people passionate about Jesus and plugging into your church and impacting huge change for Christ all over the place, in your families and in your churches and in your workplaces. And as I was reading through this passage, I want you to hear it as Paul wrote to the church there, but but also, as, as I say for you guys, because his words are, are my heart for you as well. Because we always ought to give thanks to you. And guys, that's true. I give thanks for you. Sometimes you're challenging. But I give thanks for you. And I love you deeply. As beloved brothers by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits. Now, I think about this church specifically as Paul's writing to them. They're literally some of the first fruits, like some of the first believers, Period. After Jesus, right? Such a short period of time. But also I think of you guys and you've got so much of your lives still ahead of you and yet you're choosing to faithfully follow Jesus now. To be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this he has called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught. And what Paul's saying here isn't actually like the traditions. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He spends lots of time talking about how that's not the important thing, right? What he's saying is the things that I have taught you, the traditions of Jesus, the things that Jesus said matters most. He says, by us and by our spoken word or by a letter, and I would encourage you guys to continue to live according to the things that Jesus has taught you. The things that you're learning in your small groups and as you meet with the different ministers and other people for mentorship and discipleship. And the spoken word and by the word of God. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Guys, it's through his grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Guys, it's my prayer for you that you would stand firm in the faith that you would be secured and sanctified, that you'd be comforted and established because of Jesus and for his glory. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, um, God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this church and the things that we can learn um, in Paul's letter um, to them. And God, I ask that you would help us um, to stand firm in the truth, that we wouldn't lose sight and be distracted by other things that are less relevant, that we wouldn't make more of things um, than you desire for us to, that we would stay focused on Christ, and that we would keep first things first, that we'd be focused on the truth that is your word and your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.